Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com. It's Thursday, March 9th. This is The Gateway. I'm Wayne Pratt. The Missouri House has passed legislation establishing an open enrollment program for the state's public schools. Supporters say competition will benefit schools in Missouri. I believe this country was built on competition. Why should any school district in the state who is supported by taxpayer dollars be afraid to compete in their academic programs? The measure is headed to the Missouri Senate. There are concerns about who the open enrollment program will accommodate. St. Louis Public Radio's Sarah Kellogg reports. Beginning in the 2024-2025 school year, public schools in the state would be able to participate in an open enrollment program and accept students who live outside of the school's home district. Schools would be able to decide whether they wanted to participate in the program, though they would not be able to stop students from leaving. Schools would be able to deny accepting students with learning disabilities that they do not have the staff to address those needs. Representative Sarah Unsicker brought up that point on the House floor during debate. A district can reject a child because they don't ha- they cannot accommodate a child with disabilities. But the originating school district can't do that. Bill sponsor Representative Brad Pollitt says if a school accepts a student that is later tested to need special education services, then the new school would have to accommodate them. In Jefferson City, I'm Sarah Kellogg, St. Louis Public Radio. The Missouri Senate has adjourned for spring break without advancing legislation targeting gender-affirming health care for transgender youth. Senators have spent the last couple of days on the floor debating a bill which bars any transgender person under 18 from accessing health care like hormone treatments and puberty blockers. Democrats have taken turns filibustering the bill, effectively stopping the legislation from moving on. The measure could be brought up again once lawmakers return March 20th. Illinois is reorganizing state-operated developmental centers, which will include big changes for the Schott Mental Health and Developmental Center, which is about two hours southeast of St. Louis. Jennifer Fuller reports. Governor J.B. Pritzker's office says the state plans to repurpose Shote over the next three years and move roughly half of the facility's residents with intellectual and developmental disabilities to new community-based centers or other state-run facilities where they can receive care. The plan comes after numerous news reports from ProPublica, Capital News Illinois, and Lee Enterprises found evidence of years of mismanagement, abuse, and neglect at the center in Anna. Changes throughout the Illinois Department of Human Services will also include new safety enhancements at all state-run facilities. The governor's office says Schott's new makeup will allow the facility to meet patient capacity as well as, quote, other urgent state needs, though those needs were not spelled out. I'm Jennifer Fuller. Illinois is launching an education center to recruit and train behavioral health professionals. It will be at the Southern Illinois University School of Medicine and is a partnership with the University of Illinois Chicago and the State Board of Higher Education. Governor J.B. Pritzker says there are not enough workers to help a population struggling with mental health issues. From care portals and universal screenings to improved coordination of service delivery and increased statewide capacity, we are laying out a plan to build the best behavioral health system in America. Public and private universities, along with community colleges, will be invited to work with the center to train students entering the behavioral health workforce. It will be funded by a $5 million annual investment from the State Department of Human Services. 
The International Institute of St. Louis wants health care providers to make sure they are able to communicate with an expected surge of new arrivals from other countries. As St. Louis Public Radio's Chad Davis reports, Institute leaders say it can be difficult for refugees and immigrants to understand the country's health care system. The Institute expects to see refugees from immigrants from Afghanistan, Ukraine, Haiti, Nicaragua, Cuba, and Venezuela. But language barriers could make it hard for some of the new arrivals to understand the health care system as they're trying to get settled. Blake Hamilton is a senior vice president for the International Institute. He says it's critical for providers to make sure they have personnel who can communicate with people from other countries. It isn't just about you know that initial health care appointment, um, but it's about making Immigrants and refugees feel comfortable in that healthcare environment so that when things pop up, they are comfortable going to providers and getting assistance. Affinia Healthcare plans to hire a community health worker to help some of the immigrants navigate the healthcare system. I'm Chad Davis, St. Louis Public Radio. Rural America is not known for public transportation, but the need is increasing as residents get older. Harvest Public Media's Elizabeth Rempert reports. A white van braves country roads with flying gravel in northeast Nebraska to get to a house surrounded by fields with wind chimes on the outside. The driver sets down a ramp for Joel Tyndall. Hey, Joel! who guides his electric wheelchair up and into the van. Tyndall manages his diabetes with three dialysis appointments a week in Norfolk, Nebraska, an hour away. He needs a little help getting there, so he calls Cedar County Transit. These guys help me out more than you would believe. I mean, I am, you know, double amputee above the knees. Tyndall's car has been collecting dust in his garage, but he's still able to get to his medical appointments, run errands, and even see friends and family. Later that day, his wife had booked a ride to get to the recycling center in town, all from the home they've known for years. They asked me, why don't I move down to Norfolk? And I said, I'm going to leave my home and all this. I said, no, I've got this. As long as this transit continues to run, I'll be using it for just about everything, you know. Around 10 a.m., it's time to get buckled in for dialysis. Since 1980, Cedar County has had some level of public transit. It sort of works like a rural Uber. Anyone can call to schedule a ride, as long as it's within 200 miles and on a weekday from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. This service in northeast Nebraska is not unique. Kansas was tied for the most rural transit providers in the nation. And Missouri's operating above the standard transit is the largest agency in the country. In fact, 82% of counties nationwide had some level of rural transit available in 2019, according to the U.S. Department of Transportation. But still, more than a third of state rural health offices said transportation was the number one barrier to elderly people staying in their homes. Carrie Henning-Smith researches rural health at the University of Minnesota and says providing transit is a hard gig. There are limited resources. People are spread out. Roads aren't always maintained. There's greater need for transportation among older adults in rural communities, but more transportation challenges in getting people where they need to go. And that will only increase as the years go on and the population continues to age in rural places. And she's quick to point out, 
82% of counties having transit means there's still 18% that don't. Cherry County in western Nebraska was one of those counties. It's the state's biggest county, with a footprint larger than Connecticut. But for years, Cherry County has not had any public transit available. Peg Snell manages the Independent Living Center in Valentine, the county's biggest town. Something snapped in her when she saw elderly residents walking in the heat to get to the hospital a few blocks away. And I'm like, this is wrong. You know, this is wrong. She knew something had to change, and she quickly became an advocate for bringing transit to Valentine. Snell pushed city officials to ask a Western Nebraska agency to expand their services into the town. It's like, why wouldn't we do this? It's going to be a cost, but it's going to keep our elderly in our community. We could have a great system, because right now we have nothing. So the community took action, and big white buses started appearing on Valentine's streets in November. It made all the difference for Jim Ducey. He doesn't have a car and uses a bike to get around. He tears up as he talks about what a tough winter it's been. If not for the bus, he's not sure he could have stayed in his home. I did not want to leave Valentine. I'm still here, and that is because the transit service arrived at the perfect time. And recently, Valentine celebrated the service with an official ribbon cutting. (laughs) Right now, the buses only run within city limits, just a small part of the vast Cherry County. But they hope it's only the beginning. For Harvest Public Media, I'm Elizabeth Rembert. Harvest Public Media is a collaboration of newsrooms in the Midwest. The Gateway is a production of St. Louis Public Radio, a listener-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Music by Ryan McNeely of Adult Fur. I'm Wayne Pratt. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.